Hello, hello, welcome to our JavaSAM podcast. Let's welcome Carla Garcia Medina, who is a researcher in computer science and engineering. In her 2018 uses project, she applied genetic algorithms to solve the traveling salesman problem, which is considered to be a computational MP problem. She participated at the 8th International Swiss Talent Forum, where outstanding young talents across the world are assigned different challenges. Carla developed an iOS application for IDEA, Independent Democracy of Informal Economy Association in Cambodia, and she also worked for companies and institutions such as the University Institute of Cybernetic Sciences and Technologies in ML and Deep Learning, and now she studies at NYU Tendon School of Engineering. Carla is also the winner of several prizes, and she had the honor to meet the Spanish minister and the president of the government of the Canary Islands. Carla is also an active member of the European Solidarity Corps, and I'm pumped to have this conversation. So let's just jump right into it. So welcome, Carla, to the podcast. I'm really happy that you're here. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Yes, me too. I'm interested to go back to the initial moment and ask you what inspired you to eventually move into the field of computer science slash engineering. I think technology is all around us. I guess especially our generation, we've grown up with so much technology that in a way we take it for granted. But at the same time, it's just changing so quickly that I guess that I wanted to really be part of those people who decide what changes are being made on technology. Yes, the future is expanding for computer science and there are many alterations made to which you've also contributed because you participated at USIS in 2018. And I've been really intrigued to read more about your project. And let's just dive deep into it because I wanted to get to know what the traveling salesman problem is. It's a really fun idea. If we imagine a salesman who has to travel around many cities in a country for different business conferences, the question set up by the problem is how do you find a solution that will give you the shortest possible path whilst linking together all those cities and it's a very interesting problem so what i decided to do for my project was instead of having cities apply the traveling salesman problem to the viewpoints of gran canaria which is where i'm from we have lots of touristic viewpoints so I wanted to find the shortest path so that people traveling around with them by car would minimize CO2 emissions. This also has an ecological impact involved in a project. Totally. A really important aspect of it, I think. I really like the algorithm part. And how did you apply those algorithms? And they are not just regular algorithms, but they have a special element which uh, made it more efficient. Can you expand on that? Yeah, so the thing about the traveling salesman problem is that it's known as a computationally NP or non-polynomial problem, which means that as N, so the number of viewpoints in my case, or the number of cities in the traveling uh, case, in the salesman case, if it increases, um, time increases exponentially with it. And if N is a very large number, it could take years to find the optimal solution. So 
what one has to do to actually find the shortest solution is to optimize the problem. What I decided to use are called genetic algorithms, which are really fun. Uh, they're really fun to explain. They are a type of machine learning algorithm, and they're based on the idea that as humans evolve, we improve as a generation. So survival of the fittest, the characteristics that matter end up improving. So if you extrapolate that idea to parameters like distance, you can actually optimize the routes to find the shortest distance. And that's what I did. That's really cool. So you applied and implemented, let's say, the so-called evolutionary growth rate. It doesn't take years to figure out the entry problem or the agente viajero. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was really nice because you start with an initial generation of roots and then they evolve and you see how they improve. And it, it actually works really well. Um, I improved efficiency efficiency by 17% with comparison to just going to the nearest viewpoint, which is what most tourists would initially do. Those are very high numbers, um, especially in the computational field. Now, when you were mapping the locations out in sort of way, what happened with those areas that were non-urban that contained perhaps natural sightseeings? Did it cause you any difficulty to sort them out? Actually, analyzing what viewpoints to choose was a big part of the project too. I decided to focus on um, viewpoints that were in the protected areas of the island because those are the ones where I think we should focus our energy on contaminating less. They needed to have a road access because otherwise the route would, wouldn't be useful. And I wanted them to be part of non-urban areas. Most of them are, especially rural areas. Absolutely. You want to contribute to the initiative of stopping the loss of eventually biological diversity. Totally. Yeah. And during my presentation, I urged the authorities to implement charging stations for electric vehicles. It's something that, at least in the Canary Islands, we haven't promoted too much so far. And I thought that if we had this route and we implemented charging stations, people would consider more their choices and think more about them. It really is a pioneer project as you pressed on those urgent issues that had not been dealt with to such an extent by the time. And you participated at USIS with this project. Now, if we date a little back in time to 2018, which is just scary to say, if you did a mental highlight reel, which were some of the most memorable moments of USIS 2018? Honestly, every single conversation was mind-changing in a way because I found myself in this place where everyone was super ambitious, they really had a goal in life, they were really interested in science and wanted to contribute to the world in some way. And I'm not just talking about participants, like everyone. Um, judges are... My conversations with judges were really interesting volunteers and even visitors. We had people come from other schools and it was very interesting to talk to them. I also love the idea of visiting Ireland. And I really remember the um, Irish dances and the music. It was really magical. 
oh, the tap dances, what they performed on our first night. Yeah, I love that. I really remember that. It's one of the main memories I have. Yeah, it just made you feel like she wanted to be part of the whole experience. Irish people are generally so hospital as well, and I think we could feel that in the ambience and how they treated us during the whole experience. Yeah, I I really remember this because we've talked about this, but um, during uses, my suitcase was lost. They didn't arrive at the airport. Oh yes, really, I remember. I, in a way, I was left with that suitcase throughout the whole um, contest, which had which made me have to be extra resourceful in a way when presenting and just in the day to day routine. But I found that everyone was super helpful. They were trying to phone the airport, trying to phone the airline for me. They asked on a daily basis where, like, if I had found my things, and it was just great. I. I really want to go back to Ireland. <laughs> yeah, but with a full suitcase now. <laughs> yeah, now I always bring a carry-on. <laughs> That's what I learned. Yeah, well, you know, in the great losses, a person can find out who really is there for him or her. <laughs> and Irish people made an excellent support group, even though it was kind of a disadvantage at the moment. It just really showed how helpful they can be. Yeah, I can say I was happy to lose my suitcase in Dublin. <laughs> I know, it's so bad. Actually, one of the Hungarian contestants also, I think her suitcase arrived finally, but she had to wait a couple of days. There have been some mishaps in the, in the details of the airport system on that day. We were cursed. <laughs> I didn't know it happened to other people too. <laughs> yes, who knows how many. <laughs> Wow. Mine arrived two weeks after the contest back home and I had textbooks for school there. So it was just fun. Like, it, I had to think out of the to solve all the little issues. Some of the excuses students use when they um, haven't done their homework is that, oh, I left it at home and you could have been like, oh, I left it in Dublin. <laughs> it was really funny. It was really primary exposure to a larger community of young scientists who think in bigger perspectives and that also provides a great deal of inspiration to you. You can even see it with this podcast. Not that many people our age want to dedicate their time to talk about these things, um, but there are these communities through these contests that really expose you to people who in a way think like you but they also have very different opinions about things because they have been raised in different places and have different backgrounds so I, I just really love it I think if we could we should try and have everyone be in these situations at some point it really just dates back to what you mentioned how they've been raised whether they had exposure to science in school by other mentors it can really shape a child's future if there are people supporting you or you are exposed firsthand to the stem fields totally affects how you think and how you approach the world and if you end up liking school or not. In terms of approaching the world, there are several issues that we deal with as scientists and that can shape our everyday lives. And I think that the platform you participated at, the 8th International Swiss Talent Forum, uh, where outstanding young talents, just like you, across the world are assigned different challenges, 
really are questioning those gray areas or trying to bring a solution or a new perspective to it. So I'm really interested to hear how did you and your team approach the AI social media challenge? First of all, I just want to say that you're super nice. Going back to the challenge, well, what we did is we, our objective was to analyze how virtual reality and how augmented reality and AI as a whole will shape the future and affect our lives. And so we thought about arising issues from an ethical point of view, which is something very different from what I had done. I had approached projects in a more mechanical, more logical way. Um, what we did is um, think about how will technology, uh, VR, um, AI, change our lives? What advantages will it bring? What will it be possible to do in a few years that isn't possible to do now? And how will that both benefit and damage our societies? But what we really wanted to focus on is not just say, um, this is what will happen, which might or might not be true, but actually offer solutions to the things that might occur and say, oh, this is a way to solve this issue. Um, for instance, I, I really enjoy uh, watching the Black Mirror episodes. And I remember um, we were discussing the idea of how in one episode someone blocked their family members. And so you, you just think about it and it's, it's scary. Uh, but how do you prevent people from blocking one another? Should it actually happen? Should you actually prevent people from blocking one another? Is it a right? New laws will have to be created that we cannot really even begin to imagine right now. Now, that's a really intriguing topic. And I just wanted to stop you for a second in terms of blocking your family members. So let's suppose that your grandma posts a very embarrassing photo of you, your two-year-old self in the garden <laughs> in an exposable way. Now, your grandma doesn't want to delete that photo because she thinks that you are so adorable, but you think quite the exact opposite. Would it be ethical to disable your grandma so that your photo doesn't show up on your feed? That's the thing. Because I, I like your example, because it's not just anyone. It's actually someone you care about. I personally don't think it would be ethical because my relationship with my grandma is more important to me that, than a photo. But it's true that if it's uh, maybe someone else and it's more... Your supervisor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's maybe a photo that puts you in, at a disadvantage when you want to apply for a job. Then you might actually think oh, I want to block this person. But actually, would blocking them actually solve the issue? It would create some familiar problems, to say at least. <laughs> or perhaps first try having a conversation with your grandma. And maybe, because I think that social media platforms, not to create any ads or campaigns here, there's the offer possibility to disable <laughs> it on your own personal Don't field, but not deleting your grandma or blocking her. And it can still stay on her own personal page. Diplomatic way of solving yeah. the childhood complexity. <laughs> <laughs> we, we need some kind of not regulations, I wouldn't say, but strategies, ethical strategies, because in ethics, 
it's very hard to give you a Chris Scott decision and say that's how it is and that's how it's gonna be because it might differ person to person. I really like that idea, offering more strategies, not just regulating. I think that's true because I think sometimes we think that society, they don't have a brain in a way. Um, because we try to tell them what to do and what not to do. Whereas I think people are intelligent. They have common sense. They just need education. Of course, for greater issues, we should probably put limitations to what people should do. But at the same time, we should give them freedom to, to a certain extent. So I can tell that you've been active in the European Youth Parliament for the last couple of years. It has been very interesting because from going to... STEM competitions or gatherings to being with more people who are interested in humanities and politics and and legislations that was very interesting um it's something I definitely want to continue doing and be more in touch with because I think right now when we think of engineers or scientists and what they study, we don't really think about the ethical side. It's definitely part of the curriculum, but we think more about what you actually learn, the content, and the um, how you use a programming language or the specific algorithms you use. But when someone applies to study a certain subject, uh, especially in technology, I don't think they're really thinking about ethics. So just promoting that and being surrounded by people who are constantly thinking about that and who want to change the world from a political point of view, that's also very interesting. Without a doubt, there should be more focus given on the interdisciplinary approach, bringing mathematical or sort of structural logical side, as you've mentioned earlier, together with the ethical aspect, those new era research projects as well. And I've been really glad that you also became part of Synthetics. Synthetics is an initiative by IGEM, International Genetically Engineered Machines, by young students who, who want to ask those questions and who want to gather more information on those gray area subjects. And I really liked your take on this when you submitted the form, the professional form, and I like seeing um, the proactivity from your side. Thank you so much. It's a really cool initiative. I love that people who are going to definitely affect our society in some way, that they're really thinking about the ethics. It's just inspiring and it helps you put trust on the people who actually create technologies. Because right now, I think technological industries don't have people's trust. And what's beautiful about this generation is that people are... have seen that and they want to actually solve that so i think synthetics is doing a really cool job with that thanks for the shout out in in the team's name as well what you've said about the generational difference and i think it's so accurate a representation of gen z we might get uh, negative comments but one thing that is true that we have this external approach and the giving attitude back to society, working for something greater than ourselves or contributing to an initiative that is bigger than our own self-image. 100%, yes, that's something I totally agree 
we just need the means to do that, I think. We do have the mindset. We really want to help people. Um, that's something I've seen and it really helps you see the world as a marvelous thing because you see that people are really motivated to do things. And the only thing that I feel we have to do is give people the chances to do it, teach them how they can actually do good and motivate them to do good just like we were talking about how your environment really shapes what you end up doing i think if we motivate young people to do bigger things and tell them that they're enough that they can be on at an equal level than an adult i think that will really change how things are will go yes believe and this is how I was raised, education inside the four walls as well, because that's the primary factor that's going to determine who you become eventually or a very large uh, part of your personality, is that you should treat a child with the same amount of respect you would treat your peers. Of course, the method or the means are going to be different because you are not going to have an intellectual conversation with a three-year-old, but you can still respect that child and care of the child with love and attention because sometimes people undermine little kids and data shows us that they have higher IQ than we do, even as 20-year-old beings. I am so passionate about this issue. Um, I was just talking about this the other day. I just really hate the phrase, that's not something for kids, or that, that kind of thing, where you're telling children to forget about a certain topic because it's not something they should be thinking about at that age. Which I, I do agree, we should... Um, retain children's childhood but we shouldn't stop them from thinking bigger and from wanting to solve bigger issues and i just think that really ends up shaping how we behave as adults uh, some people are really depressed in and afraid of saying strange ideas because when they were children they weren't allowed to do that Wow, that is so impactful because adults, just as you said, lose that childlike imagination and that stops them from creating bigger things. Since we've expanded on how your environment can shape you based on your years of professional experience, what makes projects and collaborations run smoothly? One of the main things definitely is how comfortable you are with the team you're working with. And in the sense that when I've worked with teams, I feel like the greatest ideas are usually the strange ones, the ones no one has thought about. And if you think about it, the great benefit of teamwork is when you get to approach ideas from different points of, of views, because you have different people who think differently. So that definitely affects um, how comfortable you are with a team. Being ready to question things and being proactive. When I was growing up, I always envisioned a job as a place where, just because of TV, um, as a place where you are meant to just follow what your boss wanted you to do. Um, but I've seen, whilst working with institutes and teams, that the best work comes from people who see that there's a problem, something, something's not working. So they 
are proactive enough to offer ideas that and solutions to that issue, even if that's not what the team initially thought, because by bringing up ideas, that's how you improve. Absolutely. The traditional setting of jobs, you see the hierarchy, but in a teamwork, you are all giving your 100% and there is not really a clear distinction, perhaps in a way that you are responsible for different areas, but not in that um, traditional kind of sense. If you think about it, it goes back to what we said about children being treated as inferior beings, even if your boss treats you as being inferior or that feeling of inferiority or something being imposing that stops you from being yourself and being the best version of who you are. Yes, each individual brings their unique talents to the table. I can imagine you as someone being structural, logical, but also creative team member to work with. And I think when you have, and that is what you brought to my attention when you were having a class on this at NYU, that you have to have different personality types in a team to make the dream work. Yeah, that is really interesting to learn about that, about actually verbalizing the idea that we need different personalities in a team and people who work differently because certain people have different strengths and extrapolating the idea that opposites attract. If you have a team that where each individual complements one another, that I think builds a very, very strong team that also showed at Westell and Forum as well because you you've had a publication at the end of it if I remember correctly yeah we we did and yeah as a team we ended up publishing a white paper you've been doing numerous works which included creating an iOS application idea abbreviated version of independent democracy of informal economy association of cambodia in what ways does this online platform help the citizens of cambodia i went to cambodia to non pen actually and went to an ngo they are helping people families especially from different provinces in the country to be respected by the government because informal economy jobs are those that are not really seen as proper jobs such as being a taxi driver a tuk-tuk driver over there so they don't have the same rights that other workers would and that's what the NGO focuses on what I decided to do was to build an application so that they would be able to have information about what they do and actually give them a national image. Um, Tell people that they are there and then they can count on them. Because I feel like in Cambodia, when I arrived there, of course, I don't have a complete view of how it's like um, to live over there. But I do feel like they do have technology. It's just they don't have the education to use it um at least from what i experienced um so they're trying to help people from many provinces all over the country but their online presence isn't that big and even their members uh database hasn't been digitized which to me is just crazy to think of a com an, an organization that has their documentation on paper nowadays but that's how it's like and so what I decided is to 
digitize that information, create an actual database with their members' information and to allow members through the application, new members to become part of the organization and become informed of what they do. And something which I also think is very important is to show people from other countries, the app is available in every country in the world, um, what a Cambodian NGO is doing and problems over there. Because I don't think Cambodia, at least in Spain, it's not a country that appears too much on the news. And certainly so many things happen over there that need worldwide attention. Without a doubt, this application actually increases job opportunities for citizens and also helps the communicational pathways be built between the employer and the employee. Members and people, citizens around Cambodia, they'll, they'll see what the NGO does and then want to become involved with them. And if they do want to become involved, they can sign up and the NGO will contact them to find ways to help them and their family. Mm, such an important initiative. One of the culture shocks involves the fact that their database is undigitized. Now, uh, what were some of the other culture shocks you've experienced during your work on site? A lot, a lot. Um, I knew I wasn't going to be in Europe and have that European culture. Um, I knew I was going to encounter poverty. I just encountered so much more poverty than I would have thought. And poverty in a different sense to what I imagined. I was surprised to see that people had phones and laptops, but they didn't receive education. Or, well, th there was actually a really big university. Um, but at the same time, it's not something that's um, for everyone. Some things that I was really shocked to see were things in terms of hygiene. So it, it seems really random, but um, we, in the volunteer house, we would have lots of rats. When people complained about the rats, they said, but what did you expect? You're coming to Cambodia. Which I understand, definitely. But the thing is, they left the doors open. And I really do think that if I did that at my house, my house would be full of mice, at least, and of, of lizards. So it's those things. Um, but at the same time, they did other things differently like cooking and the way they talked. Uh, I feel like Cambodian citizens are really, are really happy people. At the same time, there's a danger to volunteering because I really did see lots of corruption in the volunteer industry, not at all in the NGO, but in the um, volunteering house and people who interacted with volunteers. Uh, in that sense, there was some of that. But other than that, I think Cambodia is a really interesting country to go to. And I think it will have a lot to offer to the world in a few years. That is so interesting. Well, <laughs> rats and other lizards were not included in the job description. <laughs> so, yeah, really intriguing what you brought up that there can be corruption experienced in those um, volunteer houses. And I think it goes back to the fact, what you've mentioned, that 
in order to have a safer volunteering experience, you got to work for a trusted and a trustworthy company so that you know that you are taking care of while um, taking care of other people. Absolutely. If I were to give someone advice regarding volunteering, I would say contact an NGO directly because many people came there through agencies. And I think the agencies really make money from volunteers and there's a danger from that. So just, but it, it's hard to find an NGO in a country that's across the world. But even if you don't decide to travel there, you can actually help them online. So there are some cool things to do um, to help others without falling into the volunteer trap. Especially in this crazy pandemic situation, working from home or online platforms is more accessible than ever. Um, it's been crazy, the whole pandemic situation, but something that it has done, it has allowed people to see how online jobs could work. And at least for me, now I'm taking online classes and presenting projects via um, via video calls. So it's, it's a different situation, but it's something we're all learning from, I think. I'm really interested now that you brought up the online classes department because you've recently started your studies at NYU um, at the Tendon School of Engineering. And despite the corona situation we are going through, you could not spend the entire semester in the Big Apple. Now I want to ask you that what are three words, first of all, you would use to describe NYU? The first one definitely has to be mind-changing. Um, I'm learning to think in such a different way, which I love. The way we are taught to connect ideas and draw links between concepts, it's just so different from everything I've imagined. And I end up learning without realizing that I'm learning. I just look back on work I've done and I'm like so shocked that I ended up producing something like that. And not only with academics, but... Being in New York City just changes the way you think about everything. You're, for me, it's kind of like being in the capital of the world. There's a lot to do. Well, going back to the words, um, <laughs> proactive, definitely I'm learning to be more uh, proactive and not be scared to take opportunities that might at first seem imposing. So that's something I want to do more. Uh, get out of my comfort zone and th do things that seem daunting and also very hectic but in the nicest of ways so I mean hectic as, as a beautiful thing because there's so much to do and I like in Gran Canaria it's a very small place and throughout my life I've been searching like very deeply for things to do it's just amazing to be in a place where I'm overwhelmed by opportunities and events. And now I have, like, my biggest problem right now is having to prioritize what to do and say no to certain things, which is one of the greatest privileges one can have. I really like your description um, because it truly encapsulates your NYU experience. And there is absolutely a huge difference between the two islands, the Canary Islands and Manhattan. So it's just really <laughs> opened a lot of doors for you, made you more 
I think a citizen of the world in that sense. You've already traveled to numerous places, but New York is really the capital of people who come from different backgrounds, different locations, and those who are there really have to put their best self on. If you allow the chaos of the city to transform you in the best way to to move outside your comfort zone and to grow as an individual then i think it's definitely a positive change that new york is bringing to your life as well definitely definitely i just love the way you describe both places as islands because for me an island is a like a small place very <laughs> touristy <laughs> but it's true manhattan is an island and it's just so different everyone has a story that's something that amazes me about New York. Um, everyone has worked really, really hard to be there in very different ways, but it's just true. What you've expanded on in terms of classes that you are given assignments that interest you and that do not bore you, which will just make productivity a lot easier. A lot, yeah. Um, there are some classes that I would love last for them to last more than one semester. Uh, which classes? are the ones that you you would take a longer time studying well there's this one which at first i didn't think would uh fascinate me this much because it's one of the core classes that every nyu student has to take and it's called writing the essay which seems like not such an exciting thing to do because especially studying engineering it's it's very different but it's just you draw links to understand concepts in so different ways and you find these unusual connections between texts that have nothing to do with one another uh, but you end up understanding the world the world through that and drawing your own conclusions of how the world works and of course the engineering classes are great and I, I don't think I have one class that I I'm bored with and and don't like. They're all great. That should be an advertisement for uh, NYU future <laughs> students. <laughs> yeah, they should call me and ask them to ask me to do an advert. <laughs> Who knows, Carla? <laughs> and I cannot miss this information that you work for several companies and institutions, including the University Institute of Cybernetic Sciences and Technologies and Machine Learning and Deep Learning. So what are, are some of your professional and personal takeaways? The importance of teamwork, but good teamwork, um, where you actually contribute to one another. The idea of questioning things, of not being afraid to ask questions, because going back to what we said earlier, the I think stereotypical job is very different from what actual research looks like and an actual professional environment looks like. And it's just really, when I see myself in the future, I see myself in a place where I enjoy working and you're passionate passionate about what you do. And I think that's one of the biggest things. I really love what you do, really love the environment you're in and the people you work with. Um, some other things are really do um, investigate the topics you're working with because you'll never know what you'll end up finding and greater things stem from an idea that you're working with and you could end up doing a lot from that. It really is a central message that should be more vocalized 
in work environments as well, started working at these institutions, of course, um, you were at a younger age. Did it intimidate you collaborating with professionals who are older than you? Were you in, at natural ease from the initial moment? It intimidated me so much. Um, in a way, you feel out of place, but also very excited because you admire these people. You, they're doing something that you end up, you want to end up doing. And at the same time, you're working with them, but there's this idea that children are inferior. So you feel inferior in a way, but it's through those experiences that I've learned that we are all human. And it's true that we might not all possess the same amount of knowledge, but that does not mean that we're less intelligent. And just small ideas can really benefit a team and even approaching people. I was very scared to ask questions and at first and to question something that I had been told to do because the thing is, the idea is that I knew less. Um, but with time, just because of the way I am, I really like questioning everything and and speaking a lot. So I ended up doing it. And by being myself, I got into very interested, com interesting conversations with professionals and really got to learn about what they're doing, advice they had, because that's something very true. People who are older than us, they have lots of advice. And I think that's something that people should do a lot. And with time, you can eventually diminish the feelings of anxiety. Inferiority can be a bad thing, but paying respect to the other person, who, as you said, doesn't professionals feel more knowledge than you when you start working there. So absolutely, you can pay respect, but the best thing is that when they make you feel at ease and then you don't have those initial negative feelings um, inside of you in the long run. Totally. We've talked about this in other conversations, but um, the idea that for me, at least when I want to impress someone I admire, I end up acting in a way that doesn't represent who I am. And I know I am much better being just behaving the way I am because I actually speak my mind and don't say things just to please another person. So it's just those things when you feel at ease that you really do become the, be the best version of who you are. Yes, for the girls out there, that it doesn't only go in the professional sense, but also interpersonal communication. That if you want to impress someone, just as you said, you don't act like <laughs> yourself. You might become more gregarious or more distant, but definitely not the way you naturally are. So I think that when it comes to dating or uh, getting to know other people, let it be personal, professional, be who you are and put the pressure off yourself of trying to impress because you cannot impress 1% of the people because then you will fail yourself. People even know there's a sense. Uh, I feel like there's a sixth sense of when you know someone's acting in a way just because they want to impress you. The difficult bit is just trying to figure out how not to be nervous in those kinds of situations because I don't think it's something people do intentionally. It's just nerves and that pressure that you have at that time. But it's 
at the same time, it's beautiful if you think about it, because it's a result of admiration. Yes, a result of admiration also occurred when you were invited to beat the uh, president of the government of the Canary Islands. Well, it was a complete honor. But at the same time, I was really happy because when I ended, when I left the Canarian government and people told me that I spoke to him as if he were a friend and I couldn't feel prouder that to hear those words. Because that's exactly what I want, to talk to people naturally, without wanting to impress them, with respect, of course, but not being afraid to speak your mind and speak naturally, because we're all human. I think even greatest presidents watch Netflix <laughs> at some, like at night, at some point. Connections are super important in today's society, um, but to make them, the, the how... I feel it's just realizing that everyone's human. Break down the image of the cold, hard exterior of a person because you might end up being surprised. And that truly is an honor that you had the opportunity to meet the president and have such a good flowing conversation with him. It felt like a conversation with a friend. It was really amazing. It was really amazing. And to, to be recognized by politicians and... I think we should all defend more science and scientific opportunities. That's why I really like concepts and um, organizations who promote uses and the researchers' contests um, of, of Spain or contests like ISEF, because at first I never knew they existed and I, I didn't think... Everyone knows about them. I, I think we should all know because it motivates people to do research and to do other things. It gives you an idea of what you can end up doing. But also airplane tickets <laughs> to new places. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> really curious to hear. And I believe that the listeners are because many of them are young minds. So what is a central message that you want to give to young people. Be yourself. But I think the actual message uh, young people should be receiving is envision the person you would love to be in the future and just be that person right now. Like, act like that person. And also, do things that scare you. I've been trying to do this in New York. Like, do something that scares you at least once a week or at least you're in some time. Because it's just that if we normalize imposing situations, we really grow and get yourself out of that comfort zone. Be the person you want to be. Because I think younger people already have that desire to improve the world. It's just they need the guidance to do that and the tools to do that. And I think that being out of the, their comfort zone is the way to get there. Very well said. Dropped a little snippet in there. What were some of the things you did in New York that were outside of your comfort zone and scared you? Something I love about uh, NYU is that we receive lots of important people coming to talk to us and people from companies like Amazon and from companies where you would I would really love to work in places like that, like Google. It's just, in a way, it's imposing to go and talk to those people 
and in a way you feel frightened. But I, I really want to push myself to go there and talk to them as if they were friends. Going to events from like across the city, I didn't know anyone there, but just go, go in there, see how it goes. I can always get out <laughs> if, if it's too much, but it's, I'll go and do that. Yeah, not only moving outside of our comfort zone, but outside of the city borders as well. <laughs> we are moving into the if question department. If you had a magic wand and could just wave it and change something, what would you alter in our society? I'm starting to really realize the importance of equality of opportunity. We're in a very globalized society. And of course, like evaluation is a big part of how people get certain jobs or opportunities. The nature of elite positions, just there aren't enough spots for everyone, so there's this idea that we have to be constantly evaluated. But the thing is, I've realized that how are we evaluating people as if they were on equal ground when not everyone has the same opportunities? I'm a, like a great believer that if you work hard enough, you can achieve anything. But it's true that for some people, the journey is just much longer and much, much harder. What's most important is getting opportunities to everyone. I wasn't aware that the Spanish National Researchers Contest existed or even uses. When I got to the contest, I realized that people had known about them all their lives. Some people hadn't, uh, but there are schools that really motivate their students to write research papers, whereas at others, no one really knows about them. This is super um, privileged to say that that's a problem. But if you think about it, some people don't even have water and they have, they don't even imagine being able of achieving something like winning a prize at a contest, which later leads to even more opportunities. So it's this cycle that I think we should end by allowing everyone to have similar opportunities. It's very hard, but I think it's something we should strive for. When it comes to international competitions, just like USIS or ISAF, we know that there are people coming from developing countries. Mm -hmm. And perhaps, you know, in our world, it's a competition for us, mm -hmm. of course. It is crucial and it can be life-changing, but for those people, it might be the only opportunity to rise above all the difficulties this, they experience at home. They might think that it's a mean to alter the future of their families or it might mean a possibility to become the researcher or scientist they want to be. And I think that the stakes are a lot higher and the pressure is greater for those people who, who come from those less developed places? Well, I remember, because I used to go to Germany um, to improve my German, and it was probably five years ago when the refugee crisis was very vivid. So I ended up meeting lots of refugees, and I was really shocked to see how, when we asked one another, like, what do you want to do in life? I was like, oh, I want to do research in this field. And whereas they would have never even imagined that that was a possibility. It's not just that it's super hard for them to get there. It's just that didn't think that was something they could even achieve. It wasn't on their minds because 
these people had run away from home, had interrupted the te- their education. For them, it would probably be equally ambitious to just finish high school. That sets lots of things into perspective. It definitely changes your outlook and perspective on life. If someone is listening to this podcast and feels like that they are deep in the deepest pit of their lives, whether that be physical or emotional, there's always a way out. And we've seen success stories telling, um, you know, portraying people who come from the slums of India or refugee camps, you can name it, rise high above those circumstances. But we definitely need forces and support systems who help them to make it possible for um, other people as well, not just those few ones we know in the textbooks. Be fairer and a better way to ensure that we're not losing any talent in this world where there is so much talent. And talking about achievement, if you could have dinner with anyone living today or in the past, who would you choose and why? Currently working on this. <laughs> um, so there is this professor at NYU who's an amazing pioneer in the world of deep neural networks. So he's called Jan LeCun and people who all are interested in machine learning and the idea of um, imitating intelligence through algorithms are just fascinated by his work. He won the equivalent of the Nobel Prize, but in computer science, it's called the ACM Turing Award. And that's just such an honor. And it's just so impressive for me to see that he's a professor at my university. Um, he was a true pioneer. He, he actually investigated neural networks when people thought that they were not going to go anywhere. And when people didn't think they were a technology worth investing in. And he just devoted his time. And I would just love to ask him, like, how did you know that that was worth investing your effort and time in? And he's also from France and he's now working in the US. So it's kind of a similar journey to mine. So I would just love to ask him about advice and um, what the transition was like and why he has decided to stay at NYU and in the US. It's just amazing. He, he really is an amazing person. From interviews, I've seen that he has a really nice sense of humor. So it would just be super interesting to learn from him. <laughs> then it would be an entertaining, not just an informational meeting as well. Yeah, and also getting to know someone who at first hand had those kind of crazy ideas named by other people, but actually turned those out-of-the-box inspirations into real-life applications. Yeah, so much. He's like the Picasso of, of <laughs> CS. <laughs> really, if you had a chance to talk to Picasso and ask him, how did you know that was art? And what did you feel like when people didn't appreciate what you were doing? But seeing now that it's such a big field and we couldn't imagine our lives without it. The Picasso of computer science. I really like it. <laughs> now we are moving into the this or that game section. And you have to choose either or. First one is taco or pizza? Mm, pizza. Pizza. Have you had a New York pizza? No, I'm super sad. 
I wanted to. That I was going to do it the weekend before leaving. The thing is, because I'm vegan, so whenever I went out with friends, we would get pizza, but not vegan pizza. And I found there are many places around campus where you can actually get vegan pizza, but I never went there. So that's the first thing I'm going to do when I go back. Yeah, it's definitely on the bucket list. Perhaps in terms of vegan pizzas, cauliflower pizza is an option, I believe. I mean, usually pizza is usually vegan. The only thing is the cheese. And I found it super funny because many people confuse being vegan with vegetarian. So they would just get me cheese pizza. <laughs> and I would feel super bad because I'd be like, I'm sorry, I cannot do that. Inform the public, Carla. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next one is classical or pop? I feel like I need to, to listen to more hip hop. Um, but because I didn't have the knowledge, I would probably say classical. But I need to listen to more of it because I know many people love it and there has to be a reason for it. Yeah, you just have to discover it. Why? Yeah. <laughs> uh, city or beach? City, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry for going Canaria. But yeah, I, I've lived near the beach for a lot of years now, so I'm kind of used to it. Although, if you would take me to, like, Bahamas, I wouldn't complain. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, I can believe that. And it really is true. Uh, what you get used to, after a while, you you will be likely to ditch. So I live in a continental climate. Uh, we have four seasons. Of course, not the hotel necessarily, only in the capital, but the distinct four seasons. And uh, I've always wanted to live near the beach. And when I talk to people who actually live in more tropical areas, they're saying, oh, I want to move up north. So we are never content. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the perfect example of that. Though I'm not going to lie, when I've been in New York, I love the idea of the seasons which I only really experienced winter, which is not fair. But <laughs> there were days when I just needed it to be sunny. <laughs> it was like that Canarian part of me like came out at that point. The warmth of the sun <laughs> to, to function well. Asia or Australia? I don't know, because Asia is so large and I've never been to Australia. I really want to go. I like the accent. <laughs> Australia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Can I give this one a pass? Because it's really hard. <laughs> I'm going to give you a pass and then a ticket to both of the places <laughs> in a mental kind of okay. state. <laughs> I love that. Casual or dressing up? Dressing up. <laughs> I mean, probably if I ended up dressing up every day, I would be super tired of it. But it's just fun. Having those special occasions where you dress up, it's just super nice. Just to encapsulate and wrap up um, all the things we've been talking about in our conversation what does science mean to you um science for me is a pure representation of what curiosity means it's just a the way in which we try to understand the world and it's a tool to solve problems and like bigger problems we're seeing it right now with the coronavirus what's our solution honestly science we can quarantine ourselves and for a long time but if it wasn't because of science we would be in quarantine forever 
it's just the attempt to understand the world and it's just such a nice thing it's like for me i have really nice relationship with science which i think many people should have because it's so important mm. and if people had not appreciated and or understood the meaning of science now now is the time to do that in this crazy pandemic situation because new research and innovations to to treat disease is more wanted than ever absolutely absolutely um going back to the thing of two things that scare you do research regarding the coronavirus even if you think it's too much for you i try to solve something and even if it's like too stereotypical right now to do research on the coronavirus find something else and do use science to solve something that you like I'm calling it right now and I hope by the time this whole problem will be solved but I think in the next uses uh, ISAF competitions in terms of medicine or computing the projects or a large number of projects are gonna be on COVID-19 wow yeah yeah we should bid on this <laughs> that's a super accurate prediction of what it's gonna be like I really do think that <laughs> You know, some people predict the results of football games. <laughs> we do something different. <laughs> That's when we know you're nerdy. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's a blessing in disguise. <laughs> it is. It really is. And I was just thinking because I had this conversation with someone and they, they were like, oh, you, but the, the people who talk about the environment and climate change will definitely get some sort of prize and i just find it funny because now the coronavirus <laughs> will be the equivalent of climate change re with regards to projects yes yes plastics plastics were a very hot stuff um in the environmental department but now this little nanoparticle is sweeping that away <laughs> totally and um, even with the no waste challenge I think everyone has now forgotten about it. Like, no plastic, going to the supermarket, trying to find things without plastic bags. That's the only thing uh, that is a bit worrying about how society is approaching the virus. Like, they're really forgetting about um, plastic consumption right now. Although, to be fair, we have to prioritize in this extreme situation. Yeah, and the fact that less people go outside, there's already data on this, is reviving in the sense. Of course, I'm not talking about the Photoshop pictures of dolphins swimming in uh, Venetia, Italy. In terms that the ozone layer is reviving and pit of it all, it still brings a ray of sunshine and perhaps wakes people up. Yeah, yeah, I really do hope so. It, things are going to change, but we have to find the good things in it and overall thank you for this conversation i really enjoyed it and i'm pretty sure that the listeners will too because you've shared a lot of bits of wisdom and inspirational messages that will actually create a sense in the listeners that hey i can be or i can become that person i want to be wow thank you so much and it's been a super fun um conversation and i've really loved it i think we've really been ourselves which has been a big topic and yeah giving real insight of, of what we've learned
we've accomplished our mission. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed today's episode. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. If you want to show your support and be updated on all the news, make sure to hit that subscribe button and follow the pod on Instagram and Facebook as well. As always, Thank you for taking a few moments of science with us and stay tuned for the next episode.